This is a top to uh, you know, what we use on stage, but it's very, very special because if you can see, yeah. the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board, oh. 11. Hey guys, I'm Kevin and this is Ableton Cast. This is episode 26 with Frederick Robinson. Uh, first off, got to say a big shout out to my sponsors. So thank you to um, Recording Studio Rockstars podcast. Lit Shot is an amazing podcast. If you haven't heard it, please go and listen to it. And also want to welcome a new sponsor called Melodics. Uh, check out Melodics.com to build your chops at home in the studio. Make yourself a better musician. It's amazing. So guys... Thanks very much for coming back and having a listen to Ableton Cast. To me, really appreciate it. I hope you're hope you're doing well. Hope you've been all right. I hope you continue to be all right. And yeah, so let's see. I got my beta version of Ableton 11. Uh, I'm I'm digging it. I think it's great. I think you guys are gonna really like it. There's some really great new features in it. So exciting stuff um hope that you guys had a good black friday and good thanksgiving if you celebrate that anybody get any good any good deals for black friday didn't get anything this year well nothing music related at least a bit boring in that department but yeah there were lots of deals to be had that's for sure as always so enough of the nonsense from me as always, thanks for coming back. Really appreciate it. Say it again and again, but yeah, you guys, uh, you guys are, are very loyal, very loyal, very kind, generous people. Thank you for your time, guys. I promise to not waste it too much. Okay guys, welcome back to Ableton Cast and today I've got a really great guest. His name is Frederick Robinson and we've been trying to put this interview together for I think a couple months now and the time has finally come. So anyways, Frederick, thank you so much for joining me from Australia, right? Yes, from Australia. Thanks Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yes, cool. So I got so many questions. Um, kind of don't know where to begin, but usually I always begin asking people, um, you know, how did you get started with music in general? Um, yeah, so I started, I mean, way back. Uh, I played the violin starting when I was four years old and spent a couple of years doing that till around 16 when I got really passionate about making my own ringtones. And that was kind oh. of my entry into uh, electronic music. And once I had discovered that, I, uh, I dropped um, the violin and just went full on into electronic music and have been doing that ever since. Right. And are you from Switzerland? Is that right? Or are you from uh, Czech? No, I, I uh, grew up in Germany and oh, okay. uh, finished high school there and then moved to Switzerland to do a university degree in uh, electronic music. And now I'm in Australia at the moment. 
Okay. And you are, you're continuing to doing, like, you're continuing to do some more studying there. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Right now I'm doing a PhD in uh, sound design for robotics, wow. which is um, uh, quite, it's a bit niche. But basically what I do is I um, create sound and music for robots and um, I distribute loudspeakers across robots and it's, it's like a miniature sound installation. And then I kind of uh, prototype interesting sound experiences between humans and robots with uh, sensor technology and interactive sound and like uh, spatial sound movements across the robot. It's very, uh, very open and very experimental and a lot of fun. Wow. So when you're, when you're done your when you're done your degree, what do you hope to do, you know, sort of apart from just being the electronic music superstar that you already are? You're very kind. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm always asking myself that question. And generally, I mean, I've done, I've done quite a lot of things and they were all kind of in this electronic sound space and they were all always somehow connected to like making things sound fun and interesting and making things fun to interact with. So especially like in my life setup um, that we're going to talk about later. And um, the idea behind that was always like create interesting sound experiences that are fun to play with and that are interactive and responsive and have depth and uh, change over time. And there's a lot of uh, kind of disciplines that go into that. So there is a, there's a lot of coding uh, in which I have a reasonably solid background. Um, there's music production. Um, there's some sound installation in there. And I'm, that's a space where I feel very comfortable because it's, it's very varied, it's very diverse. And um, there's always new challenges and new things to learn. So I'm hoping to just stay in that space, like creating interesting immersive experiences using sound and code while being able to bring in uh, all the, the things in music that excite me. Yeah, wow. So I think I first saw you in, I think it was 2016, at, I think they call it Hospital in the Park. Does that sound mm, right? All right, yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's a big drum and bass festival in London in in a big park. I forget. I think it's Finsbury Park. Yeah. And yeah, so I have a friend from Canada who was actually over visiting. And yeah, he loves drum and bass. So he bought us tickets, said we got to go. So we did that. And yeah, that was where I first saw you. And at that point, I'm quite embarrassed to say I had never really listened to like any drum and bass music. So the whole thing was like just a massive eye opener, everything from the artist to the way that people dance as well. There's like this specific like sort of like drum and bass dance, which I love, but it's I've never true, actually yeah. been able to uh, get my body to quite move the way that it <laughs> needs to, to pull off like the drum and bass. 
vibe. But anyways, all that to say is I saw you there and yeah, I thought thought you thought you sounded really cool. So it's cool, um, you know, all these years later to finally be talking to you. Hmm. So I just wanted to see, um, you know, how did you kind of get involved in the drum and bass scene? Um, so I started out basically like at the end of high school, I took um, six months to just stay at home and produce music, which was um, a fantastic experience because I didn't really know what to do with my life and sitting down and really doing the work and becoming reasonably good at it um, was very uh, good character development for me. So, um, so that's what I did. And then after those six months, I kind of knew I uh, um, need to make music and uh, technology needs to be involved in that somehow. And then I just started putting up music on SoundCloud. And then via SoundCloud, it just ended up with um, a couple of people in the UK um, I was listening, like, I guess the main inspiration in that space was kind of minimal drum and bass, which is very clean sounding, very polished, very well produced. Um, and I kind of took that sound because I really liked the the qualities of it. Um, and I added lots of um, uh, like sound design and sparkling positive <laughs> major chords to it, made it much more... Um, uh, pompous <laughs> than uh, than the usual dance floor oriented uh, minimal drum and bass is, and that was kind of my sound at the time. So when I put that up on SoundCloud, uh, it ended up with uh, Chris Blumar Ten from the UK, and he had started a label um, around that time, and that's kind of how I ended up in that scene. And then through that, um, I released one album with Chris. And later on, um, I went to Hospital Records' sister label, Med School, to release a second album. And that that ecosystem was also how I played at um, Hospitality in the Park. Yeah, so for anybody who doesn't really follow drum and bass music, um, can you just say, like, is, it, is, is drum and bass music, is it mainly been something like that is like sort of like really big in Europe? particularly England or is it just is it big everywhere you know do you find being in Sydney where you are are there you know are there tons of people who are into drum and bass there or is it sort of a smaller community I mean I guess compared to to other genres of electronic music you could say it's it's a bit smaller in comparison it's quite big in the UK I think that's like the main the main area where it happens um then there's also a sizable community in the Netherlands. And then there's lots of like smaller communities across the world um, that are kind of part of that as well, especially in Eastern Europe, um, which is really interesting because um, there's lots of countries that you you wouldn't connect to drum and bass music, but they have sizable, passionate communities around that music. Um and I realized that uh, once I started touring, actually, because I got like basically the most, the two main areas where I played shows was in the UK and in Eastern Europe, like in the Czech Republic, um, in Romania, 
just like lots of lots of places there which had these uh, communities which were passionate about that sound. Yeah, and now when you're playing, are you usually doing festivals or is it sort of nightclubs? What sort of venues are you usually playing? Uh, it was uh, quite the mixture. Um, like in the UK, it was more um, bigger venues and festivals. Um, and then in other places, it was somehow uh, sometimes more art-oriented venues and sometimes nightclubs. So can you tell us how Ableton sort of entered your world, your life? I began working with Ableton for my first life setup, which was um, like one, two years into my university degree. Uh, I had like a reasonable background in Max MSP, um, which can be used within Ableton. Um, and when I started working on my first live setup, it was very um, looping oriented. So live looping, I had a violin, I had a kalimba, um, I had MIDI drum pads. Um, and I kind of needed a, a system to bring all these elements together and, well, record sound and organize that sound to turn it into full um, performances. And that's how I started out with Ableton. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, obviously I've only been to the one festival, but I have to say, like, from the festival that I was at, I think you're one of the only guys that I saw sort of, like, actually using instruments. Everybody else, you know, obviously I'm sure was using instruments in the studio to create what they did, but uh, I think you were one of the only people that I noticed who was actually using instruments. Well, maybe apart from... Is it uh, London Electricity? Mm -hmm. yeah. Is that right? There's sort of like a, almost like a big band that does. Yeah, yeah, they had a full big band. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, so that it is kind of rare to do what you're doing, right, in the drum and bass scene to actually be sort of like playing live instruments, synths and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the standard is definitely de DJing. It makes a lot of sense from the history of the music. Um, and it's also very um, convenient because like the whole environment is just built for DJs. Uh, so that's the st standard. Um, and for me to kind of, I always wanted to uh, f like playing live. Um, it's just really exciting and I never felt comfortable DJing. Um, and I also always wanted to kind of like play my own music on stage. That was, um, those were kind of the rules that I set for myself. Um, so I built it all around Ableton and just wanted to, to create like a performance that represents me and what excites me about music and uh, makes me do something on stage that's really fun and engaging for me um, to like communicate that outwards. I was just not that comfortable with DJing. Um, and like bringing that into a more dance oriented context um, was a bit tricky because I mean, if in normal like live performance venues, there's things like a sound check and you get a little extra time for setting up, you get space for setting up. Um, those things are not really com common in the DJ environment. Uh, so getting my life set to a point where I can just like come set it up, 
with little space, very short time frames, and have it work out of the box. Those were all um, well, pretty interesting challenges and uh, and uh, good uh, like learning experiences through my first couple of gigs, actually. Yeah. So you know, being in the DJ world, I wondered if you had any you know thoughts or tips on how do you sort of like you know prepare your sort of like your mix for like the big system how do you make sure that what you're doing in the in the studio on your laptop is actually going to translate really well over the massive system did you have any points where you tried things that you know you thought actually this sounds great and then when you got to the live venue and tried it out then you realized it wasn't working or has it just always you know sounded great for you Oh no, that's I mean that's definitely a challenge, and the main thing in that is just um, having things clean. I mean that's a that's a very common piece of advice in mixing for bigger systems, uh, but especially if you involve uh, acoustic instruments, uh, you if you sit at home and you create something on your home system, you kind of get carried away and you add more detail and you add uh, layers in the background which are barely. Uh, audible and um, kind of to to create this depth um, and make things more complex. And I mean, especially for me, uh, I get carried away with that very easily. Uh, And for live performances, I always had to strip that back and make sure that I use less elements and that those elements are um, potentially sounding too simple um, on headphones or a home system, but they will sound good on a bigger system. And if you make things too complex, that complexity will not come across on the bigger system and just make things muddy. Uh, I mean, an example is, is just like bass lines. Like you can yeah. easily um, make a bass line with lots of overtones, lots of distortion, make it stereo, just fill up the space at home. Um, but that's not necessary if you have like, I don't know, 10 subs available at the venue. You just use one, two overtones and you're fine. And that's going to do. So being able to step back and and strip things down um, is going to lead to a much clearer result um, on stage. And f- in my second, like the second iteration of my life setup, um, I used uh, two uh, portable modular synthesizers, uh, yes. not modular, but um, analog synthesizers. One was the Moog Minotaur and the other one was a Vermona Mini Lancet, which are basically like um, simple, r- relatively simple um, monophonic analog synthesizers. And integrating that into my life set to use that as sound elements was extremely helpful in that because the timbres they make are just not that complex. And that means they cut through really well and they create a really clean and precise presence on stage. And that was something that really helped me a lot for the, for the live performance. Oh, that's cool. Just a quick question on using the analog synths along yeah. with, with Ableton. Have you ever had any problems with latency at all, you know, when I'm assuming, are you sending like MIDI to them or were you just using a, a MIDI controller yourself? 
No, I was sending MIDI to them. So um, they were integrated as like an external instrument in Ableton. And yeah. then in most cases, like sometimes I had a, a MIDI keyboard as well that I could use to send MIDI to the synthesizers. But in other cases, I would have the MIDI pre-programmed in the live setup. And um, latency was only a problem for the percussive things that I did. So if I would have a um, a like a, a MIDI drum pad or something like that, things that need to be really snappy, then I would have to start working on latency. Um, but with the synthesizers, that was not really a problem. Cool. And so how would you connect, say, like the Moog Minotaur? Or is that just like, is that just a normal USB? B cable or were you having to you know sort of use like a like a five pin a five pin cable at all uh yeah so my setup specifically was um i had a fireface ucx which is small and portable and has very low latency that <laughs> might be a reason yeah, why i didn't face any problems there um it's expensive it's an investment but it it really works rme is is doing great work there um and I would ha it has like um, two MIDI outs and two MIDI ins. So each um, analog synthesizer would get a MIDI out from the interface and then go back via jack. And that was the setup. So and can you tell us what were you running sort of laptop wise? Were you running like a MacBook Pro? I was running a MacBook for the first iteration and a MacBook Pro for the coming iterations. Um, yeah. I never really ran into um, CPU problems because I didn't use a lot of uh, plugins, um, like especially more involved software synthesizers or something like that, which goes back to keeping it simple on stage. Yeah. So I had a few synthesizers. I had the analog synths. And the only thing where the computer would run into bottlenecks was with latency when I wanted things to be really snappy. Uh, but apart from that, um, uh, CPU was not really a problem. So what does your current like live setup look like? Obviously, you probably haven't played live in a long time, like most people, due to the, due to the coronavirus. But if you found out that you were going to be doing a gig next week, what would your setup look like? Yeah, so I'm now... In, like, generally, I'm now in the third iteration of my life setup. And so the first one was pure life looping with lots of um, external acoustical instruments. Uh, the second one was built around analog synthesizers, more um, dance floor friendly, um, optimized for those kinds of venues. And now I'm um, really interested in using more complex sensors. So I don't know if you've heard of it, but for example, I'm using the Sensil Morph, which is a 3D touch trackpad. Um, and so currently that's what I'm working with. Uh, basically an Ableton session that is supposed to, on the one hand, contain, well, as much of the sound that I use and that I'm interested in, um, contain that and be have that ready to play 
and then on the other hand have really intuitive and fun ways to play that system um i put like this is it's basically a, a work in progress and i i post regular updates on that on my socials like little performance videos to to find interesting ways to play with that system and it's somewhere between a a instrument and a like an in interactive installation i suppose because really like the basic idea of it is that i go there and i can play with it in any way i want and the the sound that comes out of it is clearly identifiable uh, identifiable as sound that i would be producing um yeah which is a it's a very like i guess it's a high goal it's a very tricky process um and i mean i've worked on it for yeah it's going into years now and it's not um it's still not quite there yet but it's really it's it's a really fun process and it's very much um there's a lot of concept work behind it there's a lot of prototyping um a lot of max for life programming um and a lot of kind of sampling of produced music that i made uh and breaking that down into the basic building blocks and integrating that into the ableton session to get to a point where it kind of it becomes playable but it sounds produced so are you using max for live devices live then uh yes yes um a lot of it is uh, i don't i don't use max for live instruments i i'm basically mainly sample based now um yeah. so things that i've pr produced and broken down into into one shots and layers um and i use max for live to make those layers playable so it it has a it has like a utility function um so for example i'm uh i'm using the the trackpad to send midi into ableton and then i use max for live to take in that midi and distribute it to different uh layers and um synchronize some of the midi nodes to specific patterns in the live set and not synchronize others and shape velocity curves for some of the input um it's just um for me the most straightforward way to get where i want to go uh with the input that i have um do you have any tips for anyone who is sort of like new to max for live where they should get started um yeah definitely i mean basically i would say ableton is really great at giving you lots of tools to do the things you want to do in a live context so a lot of functionality is already in ableton and you'll get very far without having to use max for live which i really appreciate that's really amazing that they do that so well it's so accessible and you you can just you can do so much with it without having to break it open and start coding um and then at some point you might get uh you might hit a limitation where you have a clear idea of what you want to do and the the stock tools in Ableton don't let you do that and that's the point where you can use Max for Life and then you can just make it happen um and having that option is um for me it's great it's very important to me um so basically Max itself 
has very good tutorial materials. And if you hit that limit and you want to get to a point where you can make anything happen in that context, I suppose you need to invest a couple of months into learning Max. And once you've kind of adapted this type of thinking, how you code in Max, which is not as inaccessible as text-based languages, it's, it's quite straightforward. Um, and once you are there, you have all these Max for Life devices, which you can just download, open up and see how they work. And um, my first steps in Max for Life were basically like getting a bunch of tools, looking at them, taking the parts that I wanted to use and putting them together and adjusting them to make them work for what I needed to do. And um, that process becomes uh, very creative after a while because you always have to test what you do. Uh, you have to like you do some coding and then you play it and see what happens if it works. And then you go back to coding, try to to optimize it, try to polish it, and you go back to playing. And uh, I love that process. And I think. I mean, for me, it was definitely worth it to put in the time to to understand that. I can, I can recommend that to people who um, enjoy jumping between more analytical work and creative work. Yeah. So, have you seen the new Ableton Eleven? Do you have a beta copy, or have you just seen videos for it? I wondered if there's anything that you're sort of excited about for the new version. Um. Yeah. I'm. I haven't uh, gotten it yet, mainly for the reason that I'm worried something will break in my current system if I switch, yeah. which means I'm I'm quite careful there. And also um, because I use lots of functionality in Max for Life, um, I don't... So changes in the way Max for Life work make a much bigger difference to me than changes in the way that Ableton works. Yeah. Um, for example, I think it was Ableton 10 that um, made it easier for Max for Life devices to access other audio tracks. And okay. that was really a big, that was a big change uh, for the way I use Ableton because that was kind of a restriction that came through the through Ableton's architecture that didn't let me access tracks, uh, other tracks in the same set. Um, and that's open now. So that was a, a, a very big change. And for Ableton 11, um, I haven't found a change like that yet. So I might, um, it might take me a while to go over there. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, eventually when you do have the MPE, sort of like MIDI information, if that will have an impact on what you do sort of allow you to do a bit more, you know, with your, with your touchpad and stuff. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that is very convenient to have that functionality. Um, I, like in my experience, there's a, there's kind of a sweet spot in data resolution that you get from your sensor. So you need a certain baseline of, of resolution that you get from your sensor. Um, and then at some point it's just right. And then anything on top of that you don't need anymore. So for example, I am uh, reliably capable to um, uh, 